Hello, my name is Anne and I'll be bringing you the second reading which is found in your Bible in 1 Timothy chapter 4 beginning at verse 11. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters, give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Anne. Um, my name's Ollie. I'm one of the ministers of our church. And uh, isn't it great to be here together, at least for some of us in person? Nice to see some faces other than uh, John and Michelle looking back today, as good as their faces are. Um, but we do long to be all of us back in person, no more online, so uh, hopefully that won't be too long. Well, as we begin, I'm going to pray, so please pray with me. Great God above, we know the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word endures forever. May you make it dwell deeply in us now as we consider it, and may we ever be shaped by it and be known as people of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in life, the why is just as important if not more important than the what. I was struck by this recently when I was uh, chatting with a friend and he was giving me some parenting advice and with Levi on the scene now, I'm like a sponge for parenting advice, just trying to absorb it all and so I was listening keenly to what he said and uh, do you know what his advice was? He said, never tell your kids to do something without also giving them a why and so he said whenever he told his kids to do something, he'd always tell them, this is why you should do that thing. And in fact, it's only when he gave them the why that they'd do the what. But there was one thing he used to tell them where when they asked why, he didn't have a good answer for it. And so uh, what that meant is now they're all grown up, they're adults, and they still don't do that what because he could never give them a good why. Do you know what it was? He used to tell his, well, his kids used to eat their food. They used to eat their dinner and they used to eat the parts separately. They'd uh, eat all of the veggie, all the veggies, then all of the potatoes, then all the meat. And he used to say to them, no, eat it all together. You're meant to eat a little bit of veggie, then a little bit of potato, then a little bit of meat so you can get all of the flavours together at the one time. Now, of course, we all know he's wrong. We know you're meant to eat them separately. You're meant to eat the worst bit first and save the best bit to last. And I told him that. But nevertheless, that's what he told his kids. Eat it all together. But they'd always ask, but why, Dad? And his wife would say, why, David? And he'd say, I don't know why. I just know you're meant to do it. He could never give them a proper why. And so now his kids are all grown up. They don't eat the veggies. They don't eat the food altogether because he could never give them a proper why. See, in life, the why is just as important, if not more important, 
than the what. And we know that's the case, think about it. Uh, to try and stop people smoking, they don't just say, stop smoking. They also put photos of lung cancer on the boxes of cigarettes. They're giving the why. They're saying, you might get lung cancer and die. Or with road safety ads, they don't just say, drive safely. They also give footage of car accidents or quadriplegics who have been in car accidents. They're giving the why as well. You might get injured or killed. See, the why is just as important, if not more important, than the what. And it's the same in the Bible. Because what we find in the Bible is that God never gives us a what, a command, without also giving us a why. The classic example of this is the Ten Commandments, the big passage of what's. And we're studying them at the moment in youth group. And there's one saying we keep hammering to the youth. Two comes before three. Uh, surprising, I know. But the point of that is that Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, comes before Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. That is, God tells the why before he gives the what. In Exodus verse, chapter 20, verse 2, God says, you should obey because I've saved you out of Egypt. Salvation, the why. And then in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, the Ten Commandments start. That's the way the Bible works. We never get given a what without also being given a why. And in fact, that's the rule for reading your Bible. Whenever you come across a what, you should be looking for a why. You should be thinking there's a why nearby. What is that why? And so we come to our passage today, and here's an older pastor writing to a younger pastor, and he gives command after command after command. What after what after what? There's actually 10 of them, 10 imperatives, 10 commands in the six verses. And as soon as we see all of those what's, we should remember that rule for reading the Bible. We should, we should be looking and thinking, God doesn't give a what without giving a why. And so we should be looking, where's the why in our passage? And it is there. Did you see it? It's right down at the end, verse 16. What is it? Well, the why is salvation. That's what we see in verse 16. We see that salvation is at stake. See, this is a big deal. And we're going to actually start there first today. We're going to look at verse 16 first. And it starts with a summary command of all the other commands that have come before it. Have a look, verse 16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Or another way to put it, watch your life and your lips. Now, in a little while, we're going to think about those two points in more detail because uh, they sum up all of the other commands that were given. But first, we want to think about the why. And read on with me in verse 16 as we get the why. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The why is all about salvation. The salvation of Timothy and the salvation of his hearers. Timothy's life and his lips matter because they impact on his own salvation and they impact on the salvation of those around. Now you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. How does that work? Isn't it God that saves? How is it that Timothy is saving here? A good question, it is God that saves. 
And in fact, uh, earlier in the letter, Paul makes that very clear in both 1 Timothy 1.1 and 1 Timothy 2.3. Paul says that God saves. We're saved by God alone and what He's done through Christ on the cross. But the way that God works is He often uses people to point us towards that truth. And I'm sure we can all think of people like that in our own lives, other Christians that have been helpful for either bringing us to the faith or helping us persevere in the faith. For me, there's uh, two in particular that stand out. Both worked at Christian Union, the uh, Christian organisation at uni. When I started uni, I was a Christian, but I was a very immature Christian. I was not mature at all in my faith. And God used those two men to grow me and mature me in my faith. And I have no doubt that because of that, that's helped me to keep persevering in my faith. And I'm sure we can all think of people like that, people that God has used in our lives to strengthen our faith, to keep us persevering or to bring us to the faith. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that they're actually the ones who saved us. No, it's God who saves us and God alone. But God uses them to save us and to keep us persevering in that salvation. And so that's what's going on here. Timothy isn't the one actually doing the saving, but rather God is working through Timothy's life and Timothy's lips to bring about salvation. As he lives well and as he teaches well, God will use that. And so that's the big why of this passage, the key to it all, because salvation is at stake And salvation is something we so desperately need. I'm sure we've all felt that over the last few weeks. I'm sure we've all desperately longed for salvation from COVID, salvation from lockdowns, being unable to visit family, being unable to meet here at church, being unable to even walk outside without a face mask on. And salvation from that would be so, so good. But the salvation on offer here is even better Because it's not just salvation from a virus, it's salvation from the ultimate sickness of sin and death. It's not just salvation that means we can see our families again, but salvation that means we can be reunited and restored with our Heavenly Father. See, this is salvation that means my rebellion and my sin against God have been forgiven, that I'm no longer condemned when God pours out His wrath that God welcomes me into his family so I can love and serve God forever. That's what's on offer here and that's what's at stake here, that kind of salvation. And so with that why in mind, we now turn to the what's, to the commands of the passage. Uh, There's a lot of commands in there, there's 10 commands, 10 imperatives, but they can all be grouped into those two categories we've thought about, lips and life. But remember, chapter 4 is a letter from a senior pastor to a junior pastor. So in particular, he's giving instructions for Christian leaders. Though as we've seen the last few weeks now, the bar set for leaders is the bar set for all of us. And what we see here is that it's a matter of lip and of life. It's not just about what we say and what we teach, lip. It's also about what we do, life. One of the greatest examples of this, I think, was Billy Graham, the great evangelist from the last century. And what was so powerful about him was that his life matched his lips. What you got from him in the pulpit was what you got from him in everyday life. And that's what it should be like for all of us. 
Our life should match what we say. But in particular, it's so vital for leaders. I preach up in the pulpit, lip. But when I get down, there's a life to be led. And so you should be thinking, how do I treat my son and my wife? How do I treat yours? What's my attitude to people on the fringe? How do I treat my friends? How do I treat my parents? How do I treat your parents? See, these are the things you should be reflecting on about us as your leaders, but also about yourself and your own heart. And it matters so much because of the why. Because salvation is at stake, my salvation and your salvation. And so, our first set of commands, Paul tells Timothy, watch your lips, watch what you teach. It starts right back in verse 11, so have a look there with me, verse 11. Command and teach these things. Now, what's the these things that Timothy's to command and teach? Well, there's a few options for what it could be. It could be what's just come in verse 10. That is that God is our hope and the saviour of all who put their trust in him. Or he could be referring to all of verses 1 to 10 about the importance of being spiritually healthy and spiritually fit. Or he could be referring to the whole of the letter so far, all four chapters that have come before. In a sense, it could be all of those and it could be more. Because at its heart, he's to command and teach Scripture. That's what we see as we continue reading uh, and Paul continues uh, expanding. He says, keep reading, keep preaching, keep teaching Scripture. Did you see that in verse 13? Have a look with me. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. We're to watch our lips, to, we're to make sure that what we're on about, what comes out of our lips, is Scripture, is the Bible. Which is actually why we read, have the Bible read here at church and why we uh, preach the Bible. I, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but actually it's quite a weird thing to do to hear the Bible read and then to sit there for 30 minutes as someone talks about it? Have you ever realised what a strange thing that is to do? So why do we do it? Well, it's because of the why. It's because salvation is at stake and Scripture is how we find out about salvation. It's how we find out about what is involved in salvation. It's, about, it's how we find out about the salvation that God offers, the salvation offered freely in Christ. And so we're to watch our lips to make sure we keep on reading and preaching and teaching Scripture. I was reminded of uh, just how important that is in lockdown last year. Uh, for Yoshi, our youth group, we met online. And to be honest, online Yoshi isn't as exciting as in-person Yoshi. The games aren't as good. It's harder to hang out with friends. There's no snacks at the end. And so I was expecting that over the lockdown period, the numbers would decrease. But do you know what actually happened? In God's kindness, not only did we not drop off over the time, we actually increased over the time. It was amazing and praise God for that. But why do you think that was? Why do you think we went up when logic might have said we'd go down? Well, of course, it was God's kindness, and praise God for that. But also, because at the heart of our youth group, uh, our Bible studies, at the heart of our youth group is the teaching and the preaching of God's Word. 
And so there's something of substance there. And so even though the games might not be as fun, even though there's no snacks, even though you can't hang out, still we can teach the Bible well. And it just shows us the importance of watching our lips, of making sure that we're focused about, that we're on about Scripture. Why? Because salvation's at stake. And we're to watch our lips and keep on reading and preaching and teaching Scripture. Now, of course, uh, in one sense, this is true of all of us. We should all be encouraging fellow believers from the Bible. We should all be sharing the hope of Scripture with non-believers. But there's a particular role here for Christian leaders to command and to teach, to proclaim the authoritative truth of who God is and what God's done. And that's why Paul tells Timothy, don't neglect the gifts that you have. Have a look at verse 14. Do not, neglect, do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. And now we might wonder what this stuff about the prophecy is about and the laying on of hands. I think what's going on is some kind of ordaining for ministry similar to what happens in Acts chapter 13, a recognition of the gifts that Timothy has for ministry, for Christian leadership. And Paul tells him, don't neglect them, don't waste them. And we, we do hate waste, don't we? I used to work when I was young as a trolley boy at a supermarket. And on Saturday nights, I'd regularly walk past a bakery that was there and see them giving off the leftover bread to charities. And it was so good. It was so good to see food not going to waste. Waste is a terrible thing. But how much worse it would be if we were wasting our gifts for ministry. Imagine if we were neglecting our gifts. Because this isn't just about someone going hungry or some bread going to waste. This is about salvation. Remember our why. Salvation is at stake. And so it's a helpful reminder to all of us. We all have gifts and skills that God's given us to use to build his kingdom. And so even though Paul's words here are to Christian leaders, it's actually a helpful reminder for all of us. Don't waste what God's given you whether that's administrative skills uh, that can help our church function smoothly, or whether that's a warm personality that can make people feel at home when they come, or whether that's something else. God's given us all gifts, just like the talents in the parable. And so don't neglect your gifts, don't waste your gifts, because salvation is at stake. And so that's the first set of commands, watch our lips. Make sure that we're preaching and teaching and on about Scripture. And then the other set of commands is watch our life. Uh, it starts in verse 12. Have a look with me. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Now, uh, Timothy here would have likely been in his early 30s, which uh, might not seem that young to us. In fact, some of us might think that sounds old. Uh, but for a culture that revered older people, and that recognised that age and wisdom often go hand in hand, 30 was young. And I'm sure for some of us here, maybe 30 is young. If we asked Barry Dimelo if 30 is young, I'm sure he'd agree it is. But what seems to be happening here is that because of his younger age, some of the older church leaders seem to have been ignoring what Timothy was saying. They seem to be saying, well, he's just a young bloke. He doesn't know what he's up to. He doesn't know what he's on about. I've been a Christian since before he was in his nappies. 
And so uh, they might have been looking down on him or ignoring his teaching and what's going on. And so the question then is, well, how should Timothy respond in that situation? How should Christian leaders respond in that situation? How would you respond in that situation? Some might respond by pulling rank. Well, the Apostle Paul put me in this position, so I'm in charge and you will heed my teaching. Or what about, I've been to Bible college, I've got a degree, I'm the minister, I'm the one in charge. Or some might respond with self-pity, well, woe is me, why won't they listen to me, it's not fair. But did you see what Paul urges Timothy to do? Because salvation is at stake, he urges Timothy, watch your life, set an example, put your life on display. Have a look at the rest of verse 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So in a sense, uh, you can't stop someone thinking negatively about you. But what you can do is remove the reason for negativity. And you can provide in speech and in conduct some reason for them to think positively about you. And that's what we're to do. We're to set an example in speech to always let our words be seasoned with salt, to be gracious and kind in what we say. We're to set an example in conduct, to never be above reproach, uh, to never be squabbling and to always act honourably. We're to set an example in love, we're to love everyone equally, even those who look down on us and treat us poorly. We're to set an example in faith, in trusting in God and putting our hope in God. And we're to set an example in purity as we fight against sin. See, if we want a powerful tool for winning people over, this is it. We're to watch our life. And it is a high bar, it's a high bar that Paul sets. It's not easy but imagine if this was what we were like. Imagine if when we shared the gospel with our non-Christian family and they mocked us and they ignored us, imagine if we responded like this. So that when they looked at our life, they couldn't help but be impressed. Or if at work, when we try and explain why we hold certain views and why that's God's view, yet we still get insulted, imagine if we responded like this. So that as they looked at our life, they couldn't help but be impressed. Imagine the doors that might open if that's how we lived. Now, of course, uh, don't mishear me. There's a saying around about evangelism you might have heard. Preach the gospel, use words if necessary. And it's the idea that our life is what matters. And that's not what Paul is saying here. We've already seen the importance of lips, of what we say, of boldly proclaiming what the Bible says. Of course that's important. But in one sense, what good are our lips if our life doesn't match it? What good is it if we say all of the right things, but then undermine it with what we do? But if our lips and our life match together, then imagine what might happen. And so, we're to be diligently working at that then. We're to give ourselves wholly to watching our life. Have a look at verse 15. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see 
your progress. Uh, this isn't a part-time hobby. A few years ago, I tried to grow some plants from offshoots or cutoffs from uh, an existing plant. I got some stems and I uh, looked into it and I did all this research. I went and bought all the plant food and the chemicals and the stuff you're meant to do with it. I followed all the right steps and uh, do you know what happened? Uh, sadly, the stems died and it didn't work and so I gave up. Uh, it was a mild hobby for me for a short period of time until I hit the first obstacle and then I stopped and wasn't that interested in it. But that's not what our Christian life is like. It's not a hobby, but a whole of life experience. This is something we're to be completely and utterly devoted to, completely and utterly committed to. And as we do, as we are, then people will see our progress. Because that's the thing about the Christian life. It should, it must involve progress. As we sit under God's Word, as God works in us through His Spirit, we should see progress. We should look at our leaders, and we should look at each other, we should look at ourselves, and we should see, by God's kindness, progress. We should see each other learning to be more gracious, even in difficult situations. We should see each other loving and loving God and uh, enduring more, showing a greater willingness to fight the good fight. Now, of course, I will never be sinless. There'll always be room for improvement. None of us are perfect and no church leader is perfect. But it's important to see progress over the months and over the years. Now, often the way these things work is it's hard to be an honest judge of ourselves. Some of us, by nature, will be too hard on ourselves. Some of us, by nature, will be too easy on ourselves. So uh, it's probably worth, or it is worth, asking someone else, finding someone you trust, finding someone that you rely on what they say, and ask them, have you seen progress in my Christian life? Have you seen progress over the last six months, over the last year, over the last five years? Or have I stagnated? Or even worse, have I gone backwards? Ask someone and see what they say because the Christian life must involve progress. We're to watch our life because, it's, because salvation is at stake. But I wonder, is that actually something we're excited by? Do you get a buzz when you think about progressing in your Christian life? Does that get your heart pumping? I suspect for many of us, if we're honest, we don't find it that exciting. We know it's true, we know it's important, but we're not excited by it. We're much more excited about learning a catchy and succinct gospel presentation, or about reading up on a complex theological issue, or about being involved in an exciting ministry opportunity. And of course, they're all good things. But progressing in our godliness should excite us. Watching our life should excite us. Why? Because salvation is at stake. And think about it. Think of the people, think of the Christians that have been the most influential for you in your Christian life. Ministers, parents, older believers, Sunday school teachers, youth group teachers. Think about them. What is it about them that stands out the most in your mind? I suspect for many of us, the thing that stands out about them is their character. It wasn't so much what they taught that mattered. 
Now, of course, that is important, that they're teaching the right thing, but I suspect for many of us, the thing that stands out in our mind about them is their character, their speech, and their conduct, and their love, and their faith, and their purity, the way their life was shaped by the gospel. And that's what helped to shape us. That was what was so influential for us. That's what helped to bring us to salvation or keep us persevering in salvation. See, this should excite us. Watching our life should excite us because salvation is at stake and God will use our life to bring that about. And so that's the passage. So many what's and it's, they're all summed up in those two overarching commands. Watch your lips and watch your life. But the most important thing, the motivator for all, has to be the why. Without the why, our passage is just a big long list of commands, do this, don't do that. But when we see the why, that salvation is at stake, then it shows us just how important this is. It motivates us to listen. And so the question then that I want you to reflect on is what's your why? What's your why? Why do you do what you do? What motivates your lips and your life? Is it salvation or is it something else? I spent some time reflecting on that this week. I spent some time reflecting. What's my why? I'm working as a minister. It's easy to be tempted by other motivations, to say things based on what I know will be received well, to live in a certain way so that others will think more highly of me, to make ministry decisions based on what I think will be popular decisions. It's so easy to be motivated by a different why. It's a constant temptation, a constant battle. And so uh, this week I just spent time thinking and praying, God, help me to be motivated by the right why. Help me to teach and to live in such a way that it makes your salvation front and centre. So can I encourage you to reflect on that this week? What's your why? What is it that motivates you to live and say what you do? Is it God's salvation? Or is it something else? Because just like with my friend at the start and his kids and their food, if we want to keep on doing something, then we have to know the why. We have to have the right why. If we want to keep on watching our lips and our life, then we must understand why it matters. And so in one sense here, the why is even more important than the what. And so what's your why? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you never tell us what to do without giving us a why. And we thank you that the why in this passage is such an important thing. We thank you that the why here is salvation, our salvation and the salvation of others. And so we pray you'd be working in our hearts to motivate us well, to motivate us rightly as we look to who you are and what you've done, as we look to the salvation you offer. And so we, uh, we do ask you would be working in our hearts, shaping us and moulding us by that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.